0: The job description is not always the best indicator of what it actually takes to get into that role. That's probably the first mistake that I see people make because if you're relying on the job description, you're basically reading the bare minimums of the role.
1: This is Chan with The Plan the Podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy actual steps for frustrated professionals helping you overcome career challenges so you stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. I'm your host Max Chan. Now let's dive into the episode. Hey Jen, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you for having me, Max. How's your summer so far? It is good. It has passed very quickly. Believe it or not, my kiddo starts school next week. So, it's flew by. Have yeah, like
1: you're in US, right?
0: I am, yes. Yeah, so the
1: U.S. starts school a lot earlier than Canada. Canada, we start after Labor Day. You start in middle of August?
0: Yes, middle of August, at least in North Carolina. It changes by state. But yeah, here we start next week already.
1: And w- when does your kid end school? Is it like early June then?
0: Yes. She's starting kindergarten, so this is my first time with a kid in the school system. So we're just beginning this journey. But I believe, yeah, school starts the, or ends the first week of June.
1: Speaking of beginning someone's journey, like your daughter, the one thing that a lot of young professionals struggle with is once they get the job at their dream company. Usually, a lot of young professionals they want to start up their career with an established company, so Fortune 500 is usually what they go to. Mm-hmm. They work there for a few years and then they feel stuck. they're not moving up the ladder. So what tends to happen is they get frustrated. So then they seek opportunities elsewhere, like Merrill. But for me, I always say like it's not about running away from your problems. It's about about figuring out what you're missing in order to get to the next level. So our main discussion topic today is to help these professionals move up the corporate ladder internally and basically identify the gaps they're missing in terms of why they are not getting promoted as they expect after a certain tenure. So before we get started, Why don't you tell us a little bit more about your experience and how you've helped uh, yourself as well as your clients uh, advance in their careers.
0: So I'm happy to do a brief intro. I started my career as an engineer. Um, so I have a chemical engineering and industrial engineering degree, started my career in the automotive industry as an engineer. And after six years working for that company ended up working in academia. So working at a university for five years still doing engineering design primarily. And then I went to go work for a large financial services institution. So I went to work for a bank, did that for about 10 years. And as I moved between these roles, my responsibility grew and so did the types of roles that I was taking on. And then about two and a half years ago, I changed jobs again and now work for one of the large HR companies in the world and I'm an executive leading business transformation and technology services for them. So as you can see, kind of my career, I made some major moves. I didn't change companies as frequently as I changed jobs. Generally speaking, I spent between 18 months and two years in any one job. So I was making a lot of changes, but it was not through company moves, it was internal development. And so that's what I coach my clients on is how they can develop a career at the company that they're at what are the steps to get those opportunities for career advancement or for additional responsibility where they work
1: all right so you said like most of your career well you start off as an engineer and then went to banking right
0: well i was still an engineer at the bank but yes i changed industries from automotive to financial services
1: All right. And then you worked your way up in the financial service industry to where you are right now as an exec, right?
0: I did something very similar to what I do at an HR company. So I actually work now for an HR company.
1: Okay, got it. All right. So from your experience working up the corporate ladder, what were some of the mistakes that you were making early on that prevented you from moving up?
0: I think the first thing is expecting that you're going to get promoted based off your potential. I think a lot of companies are looking for you to show the experience already before they actually consider you for the role. So if you think about how a job description works, a lot of people will say, well, I meet the qualifications on this job description, so I'm ready for this promotion. And a lot of times I'll hear from my clients that they're very frustrated because the job description says that they only need five to seven years of experience to be that manager. And so one of the things I have to remind them is look around at who holds that role. What are the characteristics of the people who have that job today? Do they only have five to seven years of work experience? Or do they have 10 to 15? So the job description is not always the best indicator of what it actually takes to get into that role. That's probably the first mistake that I see people make. Because if you're relying on the job description, you're basically reading the bare minimums of the role because that's what people put in there. The best thing to do is actually talk to people who have the role that you aspire to and understand what does their profile look like? How many years of experience? What are the skills that they have and how did they get into that role?
1: All right. So, you're saying, like, do informational interviews with people internally and see, like, what's the real, the nitty gritty in terms of how they get to that level instead of looking at the job ad. Because, as you said, it just highlights the basic responsibilities, but doesn't really help you dive deep in terms of what they're looking for from a soft skill or advanced uh, perspective.
0: Absolutely. And then the second piece is your networking. So you have to be a known entity in the organization and a lot of people use their managers as their ambassador. They're like, well, my manager knows everything that I do. And the reality is your manager knowing what you do is not enough. Your manager's peers have to also be familiar with you and the type of work you do. And that's really important because when you go through talent reviews in a large company, It's typically a talent review at a certain level. So it's a group of managers who are all looking at their talent and saying, these are my top people. And when you get to a director, it's the directors looking at their managers and saying, these are my top people. And they're calibrating across the organization, not just within your manager's space. So the more your manager's peers know who you are and know what your contributions are, the more they are also able to echo in something like a talent review that yes, absolutely, this person is phenomenal, you should be considering them for next roles because it's highly unlikely that your next role is in your manager's world. It's more likely that it's in a peer group or somewhere else in the organization. And so what you wanna start doing is building that reputation and being a known talent across the organization, not just to your manager.
1: You make a good point in terms of people getting promoted, especially in large organizations. When you get promoted, you're most likely not going to take your boss's job. There might be an opening somewhere else within that department and then you would move that way instead of taking your manager's job. Because in that case, you might have to wait a long time depending on like how long they've been there. Exactly. Like I know people that have been in their same role for like multiple years because they're happy where they are. They don't feel the need to go up. So if you're waiting for your manager to leave, it might be a long time. So sometimes, as you said, Most of the time, your promotion to a manager level may be a lateral move, so to speak, where you'll be working alongside your manager at your own manager level.
0: Exactly. So it's important that you build that network that can support you in making that move. And some of us are very blessed and, and we have great managers. Some people aren't. And so to put your entire career in the hands of that one person is not a good idea. I often tell people you are the CEO of your career, right? So you need to have the strategy. You can't be relying on any one person to be your advocate. You need to be building a network of advocates, a network of mentors, a network of sponsors so that the organization is hearing about you. If you do everything through one person, whether it's your manager or a single mentor someplace else you're not going to have the same amount of voice in the organization as if multiple people know who you are, or what you do. I mean, I think that's obvious, the gain of numbers.
1: And to add to what you said, your manager really makes or breaks your experience at the company. Uh, a good manager is willing to open doors for you and a selfish manager will basically, like you'll never move up if you, even no matter how much you work, uh, you'll never move up just because of their selfishness, right? Or they're being protective of their own job. So, Again, as you said, you need to network with other people in the organization, and then you can move to an advancement role once there's opportunity opened up in that part of the organization. And to continue on this topic, how does someone like network and get more face time with higher level people? So for example, if you are a specialist or an individual contributor, uh, if you interview for a management role, like, like the next level up, who decides it, it's usually the director and then maybe the VP. So you might not get that much face time if you are just starting out. So how do you develop that face time to build that rapport? So you'll be one of the top people that come to mind when there is an opening for a higher level position.
0: The decision maker for a role is typically the hiring manager for it. So if you're applying for a manager role, it's the person who that manager reports to, which, which might be a director. If you're interviewing with the director's boss, the VP, it's typically what I call a ratification interview, which means that they're meeting with you to make sure there's no red flags. In many companies, it's a requirement that you meet your skip level, and that's why they do it. But the hiring manager is really the decision maker. What I have found from watching my clients and also my own moves is that there's kind of two approaches. One is you should also know who your future peers will be because they can also put in a good word. So, if you are networking, it helps to actually know people who are going to be on the team that you're going to be part of because they already have the ear of the director that you might be trying to get a manager level role from. So, it really is about building relationships across the organization. How you build relationships across the organization, most companies have employee resource groups. So like they'll have groups for people with certain identities, or they'll have groups for people who share certain causes, or are in certain phases of life, right? There's caregivers groups, or moms groups, or women leadership groups, and getting involved in those can help you build a network across an organization. And a lot of times those organizations, Are sponsored by leaders in the company they're sponsored by VPs and directors have leadership roles in those organizations too so those are a good way of meeting people and you're also meeting people who have a sincere interest in helping the development of others because that's why they're volunteering so I highly recommend getting involved in your company in either there's engagement ambassadors there's employee resource groups You can volunteer to organize a social event for your organization. And the more you do those things that are kind of above and beyond your job, the more you'll become known. Of course, you still have to deliver on your job. That's table stakes. But doing some of those extra things can highlight some of your skills and capabilities. You can also participate in mentor programs. Many companies have very organized mentor programs. If you have a good manager, you can have a conversation with your manager and say, I'm working on my public speaking skills. I'm working on my presentation skills. I'm working on my PowerPoint skills. Who do you know who's really good at that? And have your manager get you linked up to another leader in the organization who can help you on what you're working on. And then as you're working on that skill together, you now have a new mentor, a new advocate for you in your company. Those
1: are three ideas off the top of my head. Yeah. A lot of large organizations have like ambassador events, social <laughs> committees. So again, as you say like, if you do more than just your job, you can definitely like build up your reputation as a team player. And a lot of senior leadership want to see that team player individual, not just someone that just does the work and then goes home. Unfortunately, <laughs> I know, which actually leads me to my next point in regards to a common misconception I had when I was younger is my hard work that I do will... Showcase that I'm capable of getting to the next level. A lot of young professionals think that hard work pays off, but you focus more, as you already highlighted, that relationships are just as important, if not more important. So, why don't you help us elaborate in terms of like, why is that misconception so popular? Why is that advice so popular, even though it doesn't really work, in regards to like the hard work pays off to get that promotion?
0: I think it has to do with historical reasons. So, back 40 years ago, 50 years ago, when you started your career with a company, your promotion was based off your manager's support. So if you did really good work, your manager helped you get promoted to the next level, and then you did really good work, and your manager helped you get promoted to the next level. And it was all driven by the company and by HR. Whereas today, we are in more control of our careers, which has its pluses and minuses to it. And hard work is expected, right? You have to drive results for whatever your day-to-day role is, but at the end of the day, if people don't know what you are doing, then you're not getting the, the credit, if you will, for the work that you're doing. I used to tell some of my employees that you have to be careful because sometimes when you're in a role and you do it really well, your manager forgets about you because you do it so well, you need none of their attention. Whereas over here, there's this body of work that's really tough, and people are escalating risks, and there's issues with it, and that body of work gets more attention. So it also has to do with what your job is, and have you taken a role? Have you taken a project? Have you taken a body of work that is very important to the company, and that has risk with it? Are you sitting in a situation where on a day-to-day basis you're doing the, you're doing great work, but you're doing, you're keeping the lights on, but you're not doing the work that moves the company forward. And so what you want to start doing is asking your manager for work that is more visible to the company as well. So I, I think there's two pieces to it. One is you might be doing great work, but nobody knows about it, which is why having advocates, mentors, and people knowing who you are is important. And the second is the work that you are doing may be important, but it might be more in the category of keeping the lights on. And you need to be asking for work that is more visible to the organization because it's more pivotal to the future of the company.
1: You make a point in terms of like the type of work is also important. If you're just doing work that you're hired to do indirectly, that's keeping the lights on again, like companies want problem solvers they want proactiveness. And how do you become a problem solver, or be more proactive by taking on stretch projects that can increase your visibility? Right. So in terms of the project side of things, how do you go about asking for these stretch projects to showcase your skill level and showcase your visibility while also balancing your current projects? Because again, like people, they don't want to get burnt out where they're keeping the lights on, but then they're taking on these projects. And now like there's a lot on their shoulders and that could eventually lead to burnout. So what's the proper balance between doing additional stuff that gives you that visibility, but not to the point where you're keeping the lights on. Basically the lights are turned off because you're not focusing as much of, of, of that work, even though it's low visibility there.
0: I think at the end of the day, you have to be working yourself out of your current job. If you want upward mobility, then you have to be building the capability of your current job. For your boss otherwise you become too important if if this person leaves the company falls apart so what you want to be doing is finding somebody else who you can start training to do part of your work this could be hiring interns this could be there's now a new joiner to your team and you say hey mr. boss I would like um, to be the mentor for this person And I'm going to help them get up to skill on this body of work, which is more focused on keeping the lights on. And I'm going to supervise them. I'm going to make sure the work gets done. I'm going to help train them up. And then that's going to open up some capacity for me to be able to work on this. And so what you want to be doing is looking at the team that you are part of and helping your manager look for ways that you can get somebody else up to skill so that you can be freed up to work on that more strategic work.
1: And you bring up a common misconception about like, oh, I'll get promoted if I do become really good at what I do. But the issue, as you said, if you become really good at what you do, it becomes too important and it can't move you somewhere else compared to if you're just doing enough to get to the next level by like, taking on those projects and then I, being able to like train the other person. Yeah,
0: I mean, I wouldn't say that it's, I mean, you want to be very good at what you do. You want people to see the results of what you do. You want to have a growth mindset, which is once you've hit, really good at what you do it's time to pass the baton to somebody else so that you can stretch out your arm and get the next baton so you should be looking at your career as a series of growth opportunities and once you've grown into a role then it should be who do i pass the baton on who do i train and upskill to be able to take on my role so that i can continue to grow I would say you should always be adding value and doing your best work, whatever that looks like for you and your organization. But you don't want to be the only person who can do what you do. You want to be training the next person to do what you do, if that makes any sense.
1: Yeah, I get what you're saying. in terms of training people, again, most people, they start out their career as individual contributors and then they move to manager level where they start managing a team. So how can... You showcase those skills when you're not a manager. So again, it always goes back to, you don't have the, they want to hire a manager, but you have no managerial experience. Another common one is that you have the education, but not the work experience. That's tends to what happens to a lot of uh, job seekers that graduated college, university. So how do you showcase that you're ready for a manager role when you don't have any direct reports that you manage currently?
0: So interns or more junior people on your team is the first way if, because generally speaking, most companies now have something called span of control. And so a manager has to have a certain number of directs reporting to them, generally speaking. And so, but a lot of times it's a pretty large team for a manager to try and do on their own. And so they will deputize more senior people on their team to help coach and mentor the more junior people on their team. And so essentially you wanna position yourself as being someone who can coach and mentor the more junior people on the team. And people will see that you are able to do that, that you are coaching and mentoring these two or three more junior people on the team, and they'll see you're ready for people leadership. A lot of time it's about showing that skill in opportunities that are in front of you. Depending on the type of roles that you're in, project management or leading a body of work where people don't report to you, but that you are responsible for influencing them to execute against the plan. That's another way of showing people leadership. We talked about employee resource groups and engagement ambassadors. Those are other opportunities where you're leading a body of work that other people have to contribute to. And so you're showing skills around influence and communication and motivating others. And so what you want to be doing is looking at how, when we talk about being a people leader or being a manager, what are the different pieces of that? And at your company, what are the pieces that they're looking for in a manager? So a guy named Marshall Goldsmith, he's written a lot of books. One of his books is what got you what got you here won't get you there. I think I might be saying it wrong. But he talks about feed forward instead of feedback. So having conversations with your manager and with your manager's manager about I really I want to be a manager, what are the skills that I need to develop to get there? And it's feed forward. They're helping you look forward and helping you identify what you need to work on. And if, for example, they're like, well, you really need to work on your ability to get people to do things without them reporting to you. Because if you can do it without them reporting to you, then we know you can do it when they do report to you. That's the skill of influence, right? And you can show that you have developed those skills just through practice. You can also do things outside of work. So I know we're talking primarily about things that you can do at work, but I've spent a lot of time volunteering for nonprofit societies in my industry. And that's also an opportunity to build your network, build those skills of leading committees, you know, organizing events, helping put on different conferences where you develop those skills. And then when you're being interviewed, you're able to talk about examples where you've led people. They just weren't at work.
1: In your opinion, do you find it harder to influence people that are not direct reports compared to people who are? I know it it seems like a rhetorical question, but what's your opinion on that?
0: I mean, absolutely. People who report to you have a natural desire to some degree to follow what you're saying. I think it's very different to have to influence people. And I think that's one of the reasons why project managers a lot of times are very successful people leaders because they learn how to influence people. They learn how to tie why something is important to somebody's motivation. And so people do it for themselves. They're not doing it because you asked them to do it. And it's a very powerful skill when you can get a group of people excited to move in a direction, not because you're telling them to go do it, but because they see how meeting that goal is going to make a difference. So influence 100% is a way more important skill than supervising people.
1: Yeah, a lot of yeah, professionals says if I have my own team and I can manage them, it becomes a lot easier. But the goal is to like you want to be harder at the beginning because even if uh, you move up to your first managerial role, yes, you have some direct reports, but you still have to do cross-functional leadership as well. It's actually a lot harder because when you're an individual contributor, you might just talk to other individual contributors at other teams, maybe a, a senior managers of those teams. But once you get up to the next level, then you're doing... Uh, collaboration with other senior managers with their team maybe even directors from other departments so it does get higher and higher in terms of difficulty level so i think it's definitely important to be able to build those influential skills as an individual contributor when there's not as much on the line compared to when you have direct reports and you still have to lead other teams that you don't have direct influence on
0: and you know i think one of the hardest things about leading teams or leading people is that not everyone is like you And so the way you like to be managed is not the same way that other people like to be managed. I mean, just picking one aspect of managing people, there are some people who are very high direction and there's some people who are very low direction. And just that one difference changes how you give somebody an assignment, how you ask somebody to do something, how you delegate to them, and also how you follow up with them to make sure that the work is moving forward. So there's a lot of development even as an individual and being a good people leader, because it requires you to know that you are not the same as everybody else. And just because you like leading, like I want a manager who does this doesn't mean that's what your people want. And so I think learning how to influence people, you automatically learn that because you know that when you influence people, the same message does not resonate for everyone. You have to find out what is important to somebody to be able to influence them and that skill makes you a really good people leader
1: got so to quickly summarize the strategies to advance your career first off again is to build relationships not just with your manager but other people in the department or outside of your department if there's other Mm cross-functional teams that are important the second is again like once you get up to speed with your current work when you start off you then want to get those stretch projects and get more projects that are high visibility. And those tend to be projects where they're looking to like move strategic initiatives. And that gets a lot of high visibility with executives and up.
0: You've got it. The third would be yeah, developing okay, yeah. and,
1: and, the, yeah. and then the third point is do stuff outside of work. So that, well, not outside of work, outside of your own work. So I'm talking about volunteering for social committees to show your leadership skills there. There's ambassador programs, basically things that you do outside of work that's not part of your portfolio. That shows like being a team player and showing that you care more than just your paycheck. And again, executives do like that as well. So those are the three main things. And then the fourth is obviously being able to showcase that you can influence people without them being a direct report to you. Because that already shows that you're able to collaborate, communicate and adapt your style with uh, other people because not everybody is going to work the same as you. And then again, the higher you go, the more collaboration and teamwork you will have to implement to ensure that things get done. Is there any other things that I'm missing here, Jen, that you want to add in terms of the four things I've just highlighted? I
0: I think on the second, in order to get those additional assignments, you have to be working on developing the people around you so that they can take work off your plate. To your earlier point that you don't want to just keep adding things on your plate. So to create the capacity for you to work on stretch assignments, you need to take some of the things you're doing and be able to develop somebody else to do that work.
1: So all this is good. Again, young professionals tend to be a bit more impatient, especially when everything can be achieved by like a click of a button. For example, like Amazon Prime, you can order something and be arriving the next day if you want to pay that extra charge. So how long does it take to move to the next step in terms of promotion?
0: It's going to depend on your company. So some companies have become very flat. And so they have big spans of control and you're going to have to wait until somebody moves for you to get that opportunity. Other companies are way more, I'll say agile and they're not quite as structured. And so manager roles open up as like, Oh, we need somebody to go do this. We're going to open up a manager role and give them a couple of people. So I would say it depends a lot on your company. Generally speaking, Most people will not hit manager until they've got at least three to five years of work experience. And in some cases more, it depends on what kind of team you're leading, right? If you're leading a team of engineers or you're leading a team of professionals, you may end up having more years of work experience in order to be that people leader. If you're leading a team of folks in more of an ops environment, you may be able to get promoted sooner. So, It really depends on what your type of work is and your organization's culture. But I would say a rule of thumb, at least three to five years.
1: So you said three to five years in order to get your first promotion when you start off as an individual contributor. But what tends to happen is that, again, young professionals are impatient and they think they're not doing enough to make it go faster. So then they end up just like going somewhere else. So what are some signs where you should stay the course compared to just leaving because you believe that you're not getting that promotion because you think it's like lack of skill. They're not taking you serious, but in reality, it's just the fact that you don't have enough experience in the company yet for them to trust you to take that next step.
0: It's an interesting question. I wish there was like a really easy way to answer it, but it's going to depend on what type of feedback you're getting honestly, from your managers. So if your leaders are telling you during your mid-year and your annual review performance cycles, like, we love you, you're doing great work, here's something we want you to work on. In three to five years, we see you here in the company, and they're messaging all of that to you. In that situation, I would definitely be patient and I would wait. One of the things that I will also say is if you know that it's gonna be three to five years, that doesn't mean that you have to sit in your current job for three to five years. You could do what you do and take a lateral move after two years and do that for two years and then go to people manager, right? So one of the things I always encourage people to do is look for lateral moves around your organization because it can help you deliver, I'm sorry, develop skills that you don't have today. And so even if it's similar work to what you do today, you can have more responsibility, you can meet different kinds of clients. So look for opportunities even while you're waiting to take a lateral move and have different responsibilities than you have. But if your company is messaging to you that everything looks good and that you're considered high potential, I would say it's worthwhile staying the course, maybe finding something else that you would like to do for a couple of years. If your leaders are telling you that you do really good work, and they're so glad that you're part of the team, but they're not talking to you about three to five years, or they're not talking to you about when that next move is going to happen, then, they're, then you want to bring up that conversation. So you want to talk about, hey, in three to five years, and that's just a good kind of scale to give people. In three to five years, this is where I see myself and say, in three to five years, I'd like to be a people leader. What do I need to work on to get there? and see what kind of feedback you're getting from the organization. Being a people leader in one company can be very different than being a people leader in another company. And there's culture aspects to it, right? And so while you may not be a good fit for a people leader in company A, you might be a good fit for a people leader in company B. And so in company A, they may say, oh wow, you wanna be a people leader. We really thought you were gonna head up this direction or we thought your next role was gonna be more technical. And that's going to cue you into the fact that maybe they don't see you in the same way that you see yourself. And before you run screaming for the hills and start applying for other jobs, what you want to understand is why do they not see people leadership as your next role? And it's really important to ask that question in a way that allows them to give you an honest answer. Because a lot of times, having managed young leaders as well, It almost feels like if I give you the wrong answer, you're going to go apply for another job and you're going to leave. And so people are like, oh, you're great. Absolutely. And they won't tell you the blunt truth because they're worried that based off your belief that you should be up heading for this role, that the feedback of why you're not ready will not connect for you. Um, And so learning how to ask questions in such a way that your manager can give you that honest feedback about what you're missing or why you may not be a good fit for a manager in that team is also going to be important. Once you know the answer to that, you can either decide that you're going to work on it or you can decide, okay, it's time for me to find a different role because in this company, I know that I'm not a good fit for a people leader. But in this company, I will say when you're taking risks and you're trying to do different things, it's a lot easier to do that in your existing company than it is changing companies. So that's something you also have to take into account.
1: You bring up a couple of good points, Jen. The first is... Yes. Let's say it is three to five years. You don't have to stay in the same role for those three to five years. A lot of people can move laterally, especially in a large organization. So you build up different skill sets. Mm -hmm. One of the common misconceptions a lot of young professionals have is the corporate ladder straight up. But if you look at some of the directors and VPs in your company, you can see that they do multiple lateral moves and then they go up, right? Because they need to understand different aspects of the business because as you get higher up the corporate ladder there are other teams that you have to work with. So if you've been on those teams before, you understand the operations. So then you are better able to make better decisions. That's number one. And the second point is, as you said, if they're not bringing up the fact that they see you as a manager material in three to five years, then you have to start asking because again, like they're not mind readers. They don't know what you want and they might be assuming something, what you want that may not be true. So you always need to go for the ask. And again, like, always like repeat it in terms of uh, what you want. So then when that opportunity does come, you'll be first in mind because you've asked and highlighted, that's what you want in your career at this company.
0: 100% agree with all of that. And at some point you may need to invest in yourself at different points in my career. I've personally hired a coach to help me work through skills, or I've personally taken a course on, you know, executive PowerPoint building and things like that. So I could improve my skills so that i was ready for that next opportunity i think sometimes we think because we work at a company that our company is going to take us with less skills than they can find in the market and that's not going to be the case if they can go out to market and find somebody who can do things better than you then why would they promote you you have to make that argument right and it's usually things like i know the organization i know the people i know our products i know how to influence across the organization. So you have to make those things real because a lot of times an organization can also go out to the market and find people who have, you know, people leadership skills. So that skill is very transferable. What are the skills that are less transferable in your organization?
1: In terms of upskilling, as you mentioned, one of the common things that professionals do is getting their master's or MBA because they think they don't have enough education to get to the next level. What's your thoughts on that? And when is a good time to actually get further education?
0: This can be a little bit industry specific because there are certainly professions where it's important to have a master's degree or an advanced degree. I will say generally speaking, I don't see many career paths into people leadership that require you to have an advanced degree. So I know a lot of people who have an MBA, but that didn't help or hurt them on this path. Like they may have learned the skills, they may have learned about HR, or they may have learned about leading people, but you probably could have taken a class, read a book or hired a coach and learned the same skill set. So this is why I really think people have to focus, unless it's something you want personally. Like for me, I really want a PhD one day. I want it. I'm going to work for it. It's what I want. So regardless of whether it helps me get a job or not, I'm going to do it, right? If it's not about that, and you're looking for a business case return, this goes back to what I said earlier, which is look at the leaders around you. So if you aspire to be a director, look at the credentials of the directors in your company. Does every director have an MBA? I can tell you where I work today. Most of the senior leadership team at my company do not have an advanced degree, and they report to the president of the company. So if you have to look at what is the profile of the people who are getting those leadership roles or who are in them, and that's going to tell you what the business case value is for an advanced degree. A lot of times you're looking at how you can develop certain skills and you can develop those certain skills in a multitude of ways. One of the skills that people generally speaking have to learn besides how to manage people is how to build business cases or manage P&L, the financials of running a company. And that can be where an MBA is very helpful, but you can also take a class on finance or you can also take, read a book or do other things to learn it as well. So I would say, look at your company's leaders, see what the profile looks like there. If it's something you want, then absolutely go do it. The place where I see a master's degree really helping is when you're trying to pivot. So if you've been a project manager for 10 years and you want to pivot into marketing, getting an MBA with a focus in marketing helps you make that pivot. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Again, like perfect example, as you said, look at the executive leadership team, or let's say, look at a bunch of directors, see how many of them have a master's degree, how many don't. If majority don't, then it's more about maybe building relationships or maybe there's a certain skill set that does not require a master's degree. So again, you save a lot of money if, you know what the answer is yeah. through your research.
0: Exactly. And it is company dependent, right? Like different companies are different around this. And what I would say is at the end of the day, if you want an advanced degree, go for it. There's nothing wrong with education, but expecting that you're going to get a promotion or more money just because you got that degree is where people often are disappointed.
1: And we've mainly talked about going from individual contributor to manager. In terms of all the stuff that you've shared with us for all the strategies in terms of getting promoted, does it differ as you move up the ladder? So let's say you go from manager to director to VVP to EVP or senior VP. Is is there any differences or is it the same themes based on what we discussed?
0: I would say that it's very similar themes, but the importance of those changes. So when you're starting to move into director and VP, relationship strategic thinking and understanding business and how the organization works, how things get done in the organization, not just in the part that you own, but in the company as a whole, those become key. So if you think about an organization, as an individual contributor, you have a body of work. As a manager, your team has a body of work. As a director, your new expanded team has a body of work. When you get to more senior roles, it's not about just your organization, Now it's about everybody else's and how they interact. And that is a different skill set. So generally speaking, I would say it's it's a lot about strategic thinking about the organization and how you fit into the organization and its goals. And that's very different than individual contributor manager because they're typically not looking for that skill set in the same way. And then they're also looking for people who understand how a business runs and can speak to how they have an impact on the financials and make sound business
1: decisions the other thing i want to bring up is getting rejected during the interview process because i'm assuming a lot of large organizations when they have an opening for a managerial position people still have to apply even if you're an internal candidate it's not always like they just give it to you so what's your opinion or advice if someone like prepares for the interview properly and all that and they still get rejected someone else gets chosen for that role Is it, at that point, time to look elsewhere? Again, there's only one manager position open. So there can only be one winner, so to speak. So what's the redemption plan after you you get rejected for a promotion?
0: Honestly, it's going to depend on the feedback that you receive. So if it's a situation where, like, this person was just a better fit, but we still love you, I would say it makes sense for you to stay. I can share a story that in my previous company, when I worked for the large bank, I applied for a role. And the executive actually picked somebody else. And two years later, she came back to me and said, hey, do you want to be part of my team? So it's also about just recognizing that you may not be the right fit for a specific job, but that doesn't mean you're not the right fit for the organization. And the key there is understanding why. And I think uh, a lot of times, you know, we'll have a conversation where we'll be like, hey, Max, why didn't I get the job? right? And that's a really hard question for somebody to answer. Instead, learning how to ask questions so that you get more meaning out of the answer. As an example, it could be like, what is something that the candidate you selected had that you saw I did not have? You're asking essentially the same question, but you see how one is easier to answer than the other. So learning how to ask questions to get better feedback, I think, is really important. Building a relationship with the recruiter, and asking, having that candid conversation with them is gonna help you. If the company is like, we just don't see you in a manager role, then you probably are gonna have to leave the company to get that manager role. If the company is like, we see that you have the potential to be a manager, but we still see that you need a little bit more experience in mentoring, so we'd like you to go be a mentor over here, then you have to decide whether or not you're willing to go do that or if you're like, I'm going to go apply somewhere else to be a people manager. I will say it is hard. My experience is it's hard to be a people manager at a new company if you weren't a people manager in the past.
1: Are companies really that honest and we don't think you're manager material or they give you like some political answer so you stay, right? Like what's your opinion on that?
0: Most companies aren't going to tell you that you're not manager material because again, one of the concerns is like, you're really good at what you do. We don't want to lose you and so what they'll say instead is that you have a gap or that you have a skill that you need to develop in order to get there sometimes if you get a very honest hr leader they'll tell you that hey we really see you being more on the technical path than the manager path what i will also say just having been a people manager for a while now is i think a lot of times we focus on like as young people who are aspiring to leadership We focus on all the good parts about people leadership, but there's a lot of downsides to people leadership too, which require a lot more maturity than I realized when I first became a people leader. You know, telling people that they're not performing and putting them on a performance plan, that is not an easy conversation. Laying off someone because your company has to cut costs, that's not an easy conversation. So, you know, I think people management is more than just helping develop people and running a team. It requires, you know, the mature, and I say maturity, but I mean it more in the sense of like the headspace to be able to have those difficult conversations. You know, I had a situation at work last week where somebody in my organization didn't do what they were supposed to and something didn't go well. And as a people leader, I have to raise my hand and say, I'm sorry. I am responsible for this not having gotten done, even though it wasn't me, right? So a lot of times, I think we focus on a lot of the nice things about people leadership. But when you actually become a people leader, the unfortunate reality is you spend a lot more time on some of the hard things than you do the fun things.
1: Absolutely. The higher you go up, the more stress there is, more risk there is, right? So 100% agree, right? Like a lot of young professionals want to move up the core ladder, but- Again, like this is a conversation for another time because this could take a lot longer in terms of like career clarity. <laughs> yeah. But ultimately, you want to evaluate like what you really want out of your career. And exactly. some people might not want to be a manager. Like I know professionals that have been individual contributors all their lives because they don't see themselves as people leaders. It's less stressful. They just want to do their work, do their own portfolio, and not worry about anything else. Right? That's up to them. So again, yeah. definitely appreciate your advice in terms of how to advance your career. But again, it's very important to realize that do you actually want the people to manage or you just want the title and money? And there is a difference for sure.
0: And you can try it and realize it's not for you and always go back to being an individual you know, contributor. So it's not like it's a one-way street for sure. But I will say, I think sometimes we don't tell people the hard stuff about people leadership enough.
1: I really appreciate the time, Jen, for of course you taking the time to talk to us about how to advance careers. So I'd like to wrap this up because I usually tend to ask this question for all my guests. So what is one big career challenge that you had throughout your career during this journey and again, HR, finance, your role as an engineer? Like what was one big challenge that you had to overcome to get to where you are today?
0: You actually hinted at this when you were asking some of the other questions. I think the hardest thing about having a successful career is learning how to get up because the reality is your career is gonna knock you back. You're gonna have moments where things don't go well, You're going to have moments where you apply for a job and you don't get it. And somebody else is promoted over you. Difficult things are going to happen in your career. And the hardest thing is recognizing in those moments that who you show up as is going to convey to people just as much as if you had gotten the promotion. And so resilience, I would say, is the lesson. And it's the lesson, unfortunately, I keep on learning. But your career takes resilience. It takes being knocked down and being disappointed that you didn't get an opportunity and still saying, I'm still going to show up and I'm going to show up as the best version of myself and do my best work, regardless of what has happened, so that I can be proud of myself. And then when the next opportunity comes, being like, "Okay, I did it and it paid off. And sometimes it's really hard in the moment where you are disappointed that you didn't get the promotion or something didn't go well to recognize how important that is. But I would say resilience is probably the skill that I've learned the most in the past couple of years, just as I've, I didn't get the job, I didn't get the promotion, I got layered, you know, whatever the case might be, my career had a setback. How did I respond in that moment?
1: Again, appreciate the time, Jen. So how can people reach out to you to learn more about what you do and how you can help them? Because I understand offline that you also have your own career coaching practice, right?
0: I do. So as a side gig, I work with corporate professionals who want to advance their career. The easiest way to find me is to look me up on LinkedIn and I welcome everyone to connect with me just in the message, let me know that you learned about me on the podcast and I'm happy to connect. And that's the easiest way to get a hold of me and to connect And learn more about my style and kind of where I am. I do share posts on a regular basis through LinkedIn that just give my thoughts about a topic. And so you can also see other random rants for me if you want.
1: Again, I appreciate the time and uh, enjoy the rest of your summer.
0: Thank you, Max. You too.
1: i